It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limousine or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans and this is happy hour. A cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common and nothing could be truer than that today, I don't think, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, where was I? Andrew, I'm lost already. Nothing. Yeah. Oh, other than we're all New Orleanians. Well, we're not even all New Orleanians today, no. Arthur's here from New Zealand, and uh, Lucy's yeah, from no, Peoria, Illinois, and Alex, where are you from originally? I'm from Manhattan originally. From Manhattan originally. But Andrew's Andrew the only New Orleanian in the whole bunch. Metairie. Andrew Duhon's from Metairie. That doesn't even yeah. count. No, okay, it's New I'll do this whole thing again. Uh, yeah. It's a cocktail fueled <laughs> 60 minutes of random conversation <laughs> with folks who have nothing in common other than we're not New Orleanians in a bar. But we're in New Orleans. We are in New Orleans. At a bar in New Orleans. I have fathered two New Orleanians. Well, that counts as something. I think. Okay. That's a good... How old are the two of them? Five and nine. It's as close as I can get to being an actual New Orleanian. That's as best you can do. And and Arthur has been here for how long? Uh, Half an hour, but I am drinking (laughs) bacon out of a cocktail glass. (laughs) So I think I'm a New Orleanian. All right. Half an hour. You really just, just flew in and got off the plane and came straight here. Drove, drove, drove down from Graceland, you Memphis, drove. Tennessee. Oh, yeah. I thought you flew in from New York. Oh, you no, drove from. No. Oh, you just drove into town. We and hightailed drove, it. Oh my God, how awesome! Well, thank you so much. You came with Sarah, your girlfriend. Who? Yes. Where are you from, Sarah? Uh, from New York. She's from New York. Okay. She's a Manhattanite. Do you guys met each other in New York? Or That's right. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So you're not wasting any time at all. No, Very came good. Straight south to see Faulkner's house in Graceland. Wow. Okay. And <laughs> Lu- Lucy, you're a. Uh, you're a musician and a social worker. I we'll am. We'll get on to all that in a minute. Yep. And Andrew Duhon is here, who's a, a happy hour troubadour, mm. who uh, has already, already, already done guitar repairs today <laughs> on, right. his, on his guitar. And we're, anyway, let me tell you where we are. What, the, what is up with my microphone? Has anyone got any idea? I don't know. Get the pliers out. Andrew. Yeah, oh. let's get those pliers. Uh, I think that's what it was. Mm. Two. Okay. Uh, we're at Wayfair on Ferret Street, which is uptown in New Orleans, near Napoleon Avenue. It's a bar and a restaurant that serves handcrafted food and spirits where Chef Kevin White puts fine dining into a sandwich, which is absolutely true. This guy, who's the chef, he's right over there. He's mm. in the kitchen, surprisingly enough. Oh, was a chef with Mario Batali in New York. You're familiar with him, right? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. So then he moved to New Orleans and opened this restaurant and put all his fine dining Italian cooking experience into making sandwiches, mm. which sounds ridiculous, except until you taste them, which yep. Lucy can attest to. They're amazing. To. Yeah, there mm. was cheese, lots of it. Oh, really? You which, one, mm. which one did you get? I don't know, but I feel like there was grilled pes- cheese, pesto maybe. on it and cheese. You right. know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, it's, it's just the caprese. Or how do you say that word? Capri, caprese. Cap- cap- you say caprese. I say caprese. Caprese. Yeah. I'm Sicilian. What are you? Oh. I'm Cajun French. <laughs> so I win. Okay, yeah, caprese. good. I love that, that people in the United States, this is something out there. Have you mm. figured, you know, those people say they're Sicilian when they're actually like five generations ago. Somebody oh, yeah. came from Sicily. That's just probably. what I'm told. It's pr- yeah. right. You just don't argue with those people, do you? When they say <laughs> well, no, everybody Sicilian. says okay. it. Everybody says I'm Sicilian or I'm Polish or I'm Greek or whatever. Mm-hmm. But oh, actually yes. what they're saying is that somewhere along the line, mm-hmm. yeah. when I first came here, I thought they really were. I thought, well, all these people are Sicilian or Greek. It's good amazing. English. No, we're yeah. all a bunch yeah. of mutts. Yeah, bl- yeah. That blood's oil-based, though. You know, it doesn't get come off anything. So. But, but everybody's very proud of coming from somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Somewhere else for some reason rather than just being American. Well, it's embarrassing, isn't it? What is? You don't want to just go around the world and tell people you're an American. How many people, how many Americans that travel farther afield than just going to Venice in July wear Canadian t-shirts? Quite a few. Is that true? Sure. Well, absolutely. You, you've traveled all over the world. Do you, do you do that? No, of course not. You're proud to be an American. No, no, no. I'm proud to be a citizen of the world. As okay. it happens, I love being an American. 
because it gives me access to all kinds of things that most other places don't. What, but irrespective like what? of that. Like what? Well. Obamacare. Although I'm probably not the person who that was directed towards, right? So what, is, what does America Didn't give me that other places don't? It gives me an inherent understanding from birth that anything is possible. Now, it doesn't mean that anything actually is possible. <laughs> that's, an right? a, that's a delusion. You know. It's a delusion, yeah. but it's a nice delusion to have. Mm. Right. You think that's part of that delusion is part of the American psyche, that you have to be born to believe that you I can actually I think that for a long time it was president? a part of the American psyche, and now there's rage on the streets because people don't think it's true anymore. Do you mm. I would like to use the word optimism bias instead of delusion, and it is something that I very much like about America and Americans, that when I first came here I was walking around with a friend's guitar and a person came up to me and asked me to join a band. <laughs> that only in America yep. would that happen. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, when it gets right down to it, once you get out of your car, people are communal and friendly. Mm. And then they like to meet you and then in turn they're interested in what you do. Mm. Right? So there is, and that's a universal thing. That's not an American thing. That's just being out in the world. People like each other by nature. Be, I think you'd be surprised. I've been to some places where curiosity is not the, you know, the forefront of people's minds. Morocco, that was a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, even in the Middle East, you, it, the, no, I'm not talking about somebody who's, you know, sticking a gun in your nose. No, no, no. But generally, if you go as a guest into someone's home all over the world, mm. they are happy to have you. Well, by and, the time and, you're in someone's home. Once you've got yeah. in. Well, but you know, the home yeah, is a the home is using a the home as a threshold. Correct. <laughs> but this is, and I guess it's, it's risky talking about foreign places, but Morocco is a great example for just the architecture. Like, you're walking along the streets and the houses are all, once you get in, there's a beautiful fountain and garden mm. and all that kind of stuff. But outside it's very high brown walls and very uninviting so yeah once you get invited in it's good but here i'm walking down new orleans and everyone's got a balcony overlooking the street where they can throw mm. beads well, on you or to bring this full circle to, to bring this full mm -hmm. circle well, one of the reasons i love being an american mm -hmm. is because mostly people invite you into their homes boom well, I think they yeah. do that in New Zealand. You know, you're in Morocco. Know, it would apply to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah people are very friendly in New Zealand. You can go stay with somebody. You can meet someone in the bar, and they'll ask you to come stay with them. But I'm no, very happy to share the it's culture. I was, I was at a gun range in Mississippi yesterday. And, That's um, not a sentence you hear too often from Well, right. <laughs> not outside of, yeah, definitely not in New Zealand, you know. <laughs> but um, they what? were very happy to share their culture What were you me. doing at a gun range in Mississippi? We drove. We were on our way to Graceland, um, and we passed Which direction were you going? We were going from uh, Oxford, uh, Oxford, Mississippi, which is where Faulkner has his house, to Graceland, so two extremes of awesome American culture. And we happened to pass what looked like a brand new gun range, and we thought, this is not usual, why don't we stop off? And for a small fee, they hired us a pistol. A friend took us there, put earmuffs on us, and taught us how to fire at a target three feet away. So this is the advantage of driving and not <laughs> flying across the country, is you can stop at the gun range yes. and, and learn how to shoot. Yeah. Did you actually, have you ever shot a handgun before? I had never shot a handgun before. I've done it for the first time now, and it is, it's quite an extraordinary feeling. Yeah. Um, What's the actual feeling? Well, the thing is that the target, this was only three feet away, so it was relatively point blank, but you push the trigger and immediately hole. there is a hole in the other side. Of, you have <laughs> right. powerfully you don't push the trigger, destroyed yeah. something. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've heard that apparently so human evolution can be measured in how far away from your enemy you had to be to overpower them. Oh, that's interesting. So we go all the way from uh, yeah. the kind of you know the spear all the way I suppose it's drone now but right, right. I can see that the gun made a, a big bloody difference yeah. that's interesting so how what was the feeling like the minute you pulled the trigger you blew someone's it was head a, off 
I did that. You just saw a a hole was already there, and you realised that you had done that, but it wasn't really through will of mine. It was a little bit accidental. I suppose I pulled the trigger. It's very hard to describe. Was it? uh, Some people feel an absolute thrill doing that, and that's why they want to go do it again and kill somebody. I did you find that? Because that could be a dangerous. I definitely didn't feel that I wanted to kill people. I did find it extraordinary that anybody who gets shot ever survives that's i mean that's another miracle i suppose modern medicine memphis yeah. is very good at that well huh. pr- pr- probably from three feet away you might not have much of a chance if it was a, if you're a decent shot and you yeah blew apparently a bit further i'm a golfer in my days when i'm not shooting stuff and i know that you know the further away from you you get a couple of degrees off in that original shot and suddenly you're right by the time it's picking your ball out of a swamp mm-hmm. over to the how, left. F- how far does a bullet from a handgun go that can still kill somebody depends on the handgun mm. the other thing have, about guns is that they're much, have a gun? they're much louder than people think i have quite a few guns you have actually. a few i do what's your favorite one um i have guns that are not don't really sort of fit into this qualification right i mean they're not usable guns they're mm. antique guns oh, okay so mm. you're a collector of guns i'm an inheritor oh, nice. who who's were they Grandparents and great grandparents and that sort cool. of thing, and so they sit in a closet. Were any of them uh, <laughs> military? They're you know. They're no, no, no. They're mostly fouling pieces. Oh, oh cool. yes, yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> Shotguns mostly. <laughs> Have fouling, you as in I'm nice. fouling right, upon right, you. Right. <laughs> and you haven't shot any of them? No, no, I've shot most of them. There's a. Um, I just got a, a pair of dueling pistols. Okay, okay. now nah, you're talking. Right. Right. And I have yeah. not yeah. yet. <laughs> I have not yet fired. I fired one of them, and what I discovered was that the size of the round that I put in it wasn't exactly the right size, so I'm yet to get the cartridge out. Mm. Oh, it's, stuck, it's jammed oh, no, in there. See, that's okay. Ah, but that's so was there a chance that it could have blown your hand off? Yes. But I, I used my left hand. Just <laughs> Given that your you right hand You the one you could give away yeah. rather yeah. than the one that I could give measure away. it that's up correct. a little bit that's better. Correct. That's exactly right. Because you're actually a painter. You're an artist. I am. I'm a painter so and an illustrator. It's so useful you wouldn't, to have my right you hand. You wouldn't want to, but you have to relearn that all with you. Some good I, I don't think you couldn't relearn so, it. So now that you're now that the gut, the bullet's stuck in the chamber, what happens now? Well, how, how eventually you, I'll straighten out. Get a, it out. I'll eventually I'll straighten out like a wire coat hanger and jam it down the. Barrel. Oh, that's the way to go. Coat yeah. hanger. <laughs> it says here, Alex, in my uh, in my uh, research from our crack research team, that you're a painter, illustrator, best-selling author. That's true. What did you know for what you think? I wrote a trilogy of kids' books called Tales from the Watering Hole. Uh-huh. I'm very big with five-year-olds. Really? Gonna, <laughs> yeah. So that's how you get to be a bestseller. Yeah, look, you get to be a bestseller by selling your stuff. Yeah, but I mean, is there a... Five-year-olds aren't shopping. No, but their parents do. Their parents, so how do you... You have to convince their parents that this is... What is there about the book that makes it a bestseller? What do parents find attractive about it? Quality and humor, right? I mean, that's... Quality. Quality and humor. Okay. You got to throw that out there. If you're going to write these (laughs) things and you're going to make the paintings and make the illustrations and take the time to actually put them into the world, you have to be presumptuous enough to assume that what you're doing is of quality, and then therefore make sure that you put your best foot forward to ensure that what you put out there is of quality, because ultimately your career is very short if it's In not. terms of quality, <laughs> are you intentionally putting in things that are fun for the parents to right. read? As oh, well? yeah. clearly, yeah. clearly. Okay. They're all written yeah. for adults. Right. Mm. right? That's I mean, the secret. Yeah. That's what we learned when we yeah. had the guys from um, Imagination Movers told mm. us that, too. Yeah. That's yeah. who's coming to their shows is... And they're super bestsellers. I use the word the same. In, the, in, in the first of the books called The Jungle Grapevine, it's a game of telephone. And in it, I use the word humor in four different definitions for humor. So now that clearly is not intended for a kid, right? You're in a good humor. You are put, uh, you, you enjoy somebody's humor. 
it's good for your humors, mm-hmm. etc. Right? So that's not for. A, I didn't even know there was more year. than one. What's yeah. the fourth one? Just out of interest. You've put me on the spot now. I so only thought there was good humor <laughs> ice cream. And the third one is a sense of humor. The third is a sense of humor. Okay. Right. Which is not actually a sense at all, really, is it? No, it's not. But you have a sense of humor. Actually, I disagree with that. I think it is a sense. Don't be so tangible, Grant. Maybe it is. You pick up on something funny without... Yeah. You Just by being around it. There are certain people that you're around, and they are funny people. And they don't have to say something. They don't have to act in a certain way. They just, you know, they just have a twinkle. Yeah. That is interesting. It's a quality. It's a quality. And it makes you more sensitive to it, I believe. You can be marijuana m- becomes you become more sensitive to the humor. I believe you know. Did you say with marijuana? With marijuana. Yes, yes, yeah. it's good, Andrew, because we've been sitting here for now for thirteen minutes without talking about drugs. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for long, bringing that. We don't want to. It's not a drug anymore. We don't make it to pot pretty well. What's it called? Then? It's a sense. It's a sense. It's a sense. An aid. Sense That's a kind of a pot, isn't it? I think it's a. It's a plant, actually. It's a plant. Doesn't Bob Marley talk about sensi? He probably does. It's not good that I'm the expert on pot here at the table. I mean, we just move right along. But is he saying uh, sensei or sensei? I don't oh. know. Sensei is, uh, oh. that's Japanese. Yeah, well, I mean, but Bob Marley was a worldly fella. Mm. I don't know, True. but senseis are those little things that burn wax and smell good. I think good. he wasn't right? a karate. Yeah. Or was he? Bob Marley uh, he was He was definitely a good football player. Maybe this is just because I've been to Memphis and Elvis, of course, was a big karate person. But I, I have a... I, and when well, you I say big, you mean fat. <laughs> <laughs> He, never, they Elvis never show any of the pictures where he's very big. That's a very there, flattering there image do, they give of oh, at Graceland. him in Graceland. You do oh, right. see it's photos of Elvis with that... They uh, brush over the child bride issue and all that kind of stuff as well. Really? Yeah. Well, it's like the Nixon Museum. Have you been to that yet? Not yet. Mm. Where's that? That's in San Clemente, California. That's I would love are you driving, to go there. Are you driving across the country? I will now. Yes. <laughs> There's a That's big prison in San Clemente as well, isn't there? I think there is a prison there, actually. I went to the Nixon Museum when the day it opened, actually. Mm. I was there for opening day, and I was, I can tell you now, I was completely high off my head face and yeah i walked in there and i thought okay i watched the opening ceremonies and somebody made a speech and somebody else made a speech i have no idea who that was now probably like president bush or something mm. and then <laughs> you get to go into the museum and i walked into the museum and i've been in there for about five minutes i'm like okay i can't take any more of this and i turn around to leave you can't leave oh, you right. can't walk backwards oh. you have to go all the way through the whole like thing like ikea so and I tell you what, <laughs> by the hell, like Ikea, is it the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. You can't yeah. leave Ikea. You've got to go through all the various departments, but <laughs> oh, Nixon. But by the end of that trip through the Nixon Museum, wow. even though I was high, I never realized what a great guy he was. Huh. It's the same thing. As Until you I, I was there. convinced by then, fuck, I never knew this guy. He, was, he opened the path to China. Was, uh, he great started, China he started the EPA. He invented this. I think he invented the internet or something else. Elvis valued charity more than he valued money or fame. There you go. (laughs) Same thing. He couldn't stop giving to people. There you go. See, it's great. great, These museums. How did you get invited to the opening of the next? I wasn't invited. It was public. Anybody could go there. This was way before security. (laughs) I don't think any of us at this table would get in. Alex, you might, because you could probably bullshit your way through. But I don't think the rest of us would get in. I don't know that I could bullshit my way into the Nixon yes, Museum. Yes, I think you could. <laughs> you got to want it. Yes. Enough, you know? just, you I don't want it. it. So I think you'd be very convincing. You're fouling pieces. Yeah. That would get me the opposite right direction. Door. That would get me the opposite <laughs> so direction. So, Arthur, you're also a writer, right? Yes. You're a playwright and a screenwriter. Not as illustrious as, as our man to my right here, but... I don't know about that. I don't know. You. It says here that you're touring the United States with your one-man 
nuclear PowerPoint comedy show called On the Conditions and Possibilities of Hillary Clinton Taking Me as Her Young Lover. That's oh. true. And it says also you're a Fulbright scholar. Well, is that not true? Or is it? it is true. I have the option to take up a Fulbright at the moment, but now I'm, I'm dilly dallying about whether I go to these institutions and say, like, screw that grad school path, I'm going to strike out on my own and ah. just let my work speak for itself. And I, I'm, I'm tending Where does the that. Fulbright put you in school? Rhodes Scholar sends you to Oxford. Where does yeah, the Fulbright send you? The Fulbright you? puts you anywhere that you can possibly get in. So you apply to schools oh. and then it's, um, it is a $25,000 US award, which sounds very nice, but when you yeah, think... that'll buy your books. I was going to yeah, say, that. I was say <laughs> most grad schools one. are about 40 grand to the start. So I was like, oh, do I really want to go and get into a hell of a lot of debt to do no, more writing? you no. certainly do not. I want to go and try this, yeah, on the conditions so, and possibilities. Is so it's based on a book? Uh, it's based on a book called, it was called On the Conditions and Possibilities of Helen Clark, Taking Me to a Young Lover. Now, yeah, Helen, Helen Clark, Clark was, was New Zealand's Prime Minister. Right. Yeah. And I made a very, uh, very successful in New Zealand uh, things nuclear PowerPoint presentation out of that with, with Jeff Pinfield, my uh, co-adapter and director. And that did very well in New Zealand. But then it was all leading up to the, the 2008 general election. Once that was over, our show was functionally obsolete. And right. This was the most money I'd ever made on anything, and we really liked doing the show, and we liked the humour, and it's taken eight years later, Hillary Clinton has proved a better candidate to make this proposition to. So it's about Richard Miros BA, is this over-educated, under-achieving New Zealand academic who has, doesn't know why his, he hasn't got anything that the world has promised to him, and he has figured out that Hillary Clinton not only wants but needs a young lover in order to inaugurate a golden age of American culture and society, and that of all the candidates in the world, the only possible person for this position is him. And so all he has to do is go out on the road and prove it. Because he can't get to her, obviously. So, he, yeah, I go out and do this show in order to create the groundswell of, you know, so, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that you're hoping to become Hillary Clinton's lover through this? Can you imagine how good it would be for both of us if that was to occur? Can you imagine <laughs> what it would be like if Hillary Clinton came out prior to the election and said, I've got a 30-year-old lover. <laughs> now what do you think of me? Like, mm. uh, this doesn't she'd actually get, make it into the get show. A, she'd get elected, probably. Right, just, this, just, this is the whole argument. Like, right. she doesn't, this doesn't actually make it into the show, the statistic, but when we were thinking, do we adapt this from Helen Clark to Hillary Clinton, of American, American presidents who have admitted to, or it's widely known that they've had affairs while in office, have left office with approval ratings 10 percentage points higher okay. than those who have not or have kept it quiet. So we're talking, I mean, think Kennedy, Clinton, FDR, Go back to Jefferson, who obviously was a founding father of six illegitimate children. Like these are the great presidents, and the thing that connects them is they've all taken young lovers. This is our pitch to Hillary. Sex sells. Yeah. Even politics. Okay, mm. this is a pretty damn good idea because I think there's a huge number of people in America who would think that she's getting Bill back for the whole Monica Lewinsky and God knows who else bullshit right, right. that there's she's put up with. Look, That's if a little bit of revenge angle. comes as a nice byproduct of, yeah. of this wise decision on her part, then fantastic. Is she, and since you've been invariably digging into her psyche in order yep. to put this together, right? Is she a sexual creature? Enough so to have an affair? I We think that undoubtedly that is the case, yes. If anything, it's an indictment on you know society these days that a powerful female figure has to suppress her sexual is she a, desire is she certainly heterosexual 
A hundred percent. And I think, again, that's a power That's a power thing. It, it comes from, you know, this idea that a woman in power must, you know, act like us, think like us, be like us, fuck like us, because men are inherently born to lead. It's No, of course, she's a, she's a heterosexual goer. But that's a very interesting question, because when Helen Clark was the Prime Minister of New Zealand, one of the knocks against her was that she was really gay as well. That like is the that was first lump of yeah. mud that you well, throw but that's at the any rub, woman right? in power. Like that They're was a lesbian. No, 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 but that's the rub, right? Which is that if you're going to truly usher in a new age, then it shouldn't matter. She should, should be able to come out and say, I have a lover, it's a 30-year-old woman, and go fuck yourself. It's absolutely yeah, fine, but, but this is about empirical evidence. We have, we have researched her hard and we've decided that but she not. must be heterosexual. I'm, yeah, so well, sorry there's no the reason to believe there. she isn't. Given and that she's been married for X number of exactly. years. Exactly. And women have had their chance with, like, what, 44 previous presidents. So it's time for the boys to have their ability okay. to be a young so lover. So do you find her sexually attractive? Um, in all honesty, she is a beautiful woman oh dear. who no, has a lot on. of money and a lot of power. Well, she does have a lot of money, I suppose, does what, she? What else is do attraction? I mean, I mean, personally, do you find her attractive to look I, at? If you didn't know she had a lot of money and a lot of power, if you just you looking at You've got to understand that I started off with Helen Clark, who was not the most wonderful looking... Hillary is a... She is a very beautiful woman, and there's no doubt about it. She is in great form these days. She will wear a scrunchie every third day or so. <laughs> she is... Now, I have to say, you, you know, sound very American with the idea that attraction is derived from looks, money, and power. Where's love, Ben? Attraction. Well, don't, yeah, doesn't love spring from those three things? Well, I don't think it necessarily. No, 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 no. I can't think of a worse nightmare than marrying a powerful, rich, hungry woman. Who's uh, talking like about marrying? The rest of your life about fucking her. He's not talking about yeah. marrying mm. her, right? I'm not trying to split up in marriage. I want to be her young <laughs> lover. The whole Just point is for maintaining success is defined in my show as the establishing and maintaining for a reasonable period of time an intimate physical relationship with Hillary Clinton. Definitely doesn't have to be forever. We're not no, trying to no, tie no, her down no. here. Just till she gets elected. Uh, and maybe a well, I've got to get my benefit from all of this. Lincoln so bedroom. Once <laughs> <laughs> just a whispering. What's year. in it? What's in it for you? Well, what do we? You know, the millennials and, and Richard Miros BA is definitely a you know representative of millennial generation, in which fame is a much more powerful currency than than anything else. It it's fame. So that's it. That's what's in it for you. You'd be, be the guy who fucked Hillary the, Clinton. You would have the ear of power. But you wouldn't you, be able to you do... You always talk about the woman behind the man, Do you realise what's right? going to happen to you, though? What? You won't be able to do anything for the rest of your life. You'll be like the woman, the guy who fucked Hillary Clinton. It doesn't matter what or, you do. Or do you can he do You'll everything. be like Shakespeare. Do you think that I would be as disgraced as Monica Lewinsky? I reckon I'd be held up. I reckon I'd be held up. It does sound... Do you? Do you really believe it? What do you think? Lucy? I feel like I need to say something important given I'm the one woman at the table right now. I was just going right to say the same I'm thing. Still, I was going to say it too. I'm still hung up on the whole notion of the Kinsey scale here. <laughs> We've pigeonholed Hillary into being straight now. Being heterosexual, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think people get over the news and they move on. So no offense, but I mean, I think it'd be fun, you know, for, for maybe a week for America. And then, yeah, you might just be that guy. Do you reckon that they would be like, oh, okay, that's over. Now we're going to look at, listen to her policies. How about this? You're a 65-year-old yeah. former lover of Hillary Clinton known as <laughs> such. The ultimate walker. Yeah. That's what's on your gravestone. He was uh, a walker. He a away. walker. What is, could you define walker? Mean? That's a I was thinking word. about a, a walker like a is a, a walker is generally a young to middle-aged homosexual man who literally walks divorcees mostly much older often well healed to events 
It's called so a like, walker. Yeah, I okay. didn't know that was a term. Oh. I didn't know that was a thing yeah. either. No. Correct. Not how just a Tennessee get, horse. How do you get that gig? Huh. Uh, you need you to. You need to be. It's like a gigolo, kind of. It's a gigolo. Correct. Right. You get that great. You get that gig oh, by looking cool. for what our man's looking for here: fame, money, and power. Anyway, so Arthur, mm. as far as away from reality for a minute back to yep. the show which of this is this is not <laughs> yeah. a, and a real campaign let's take a step it's back not a real reality. campaign to fuck Hillary Clinton right this is a this is a piece of theatre this is fun times yeah. it would be good <laughs> if right. it turned out that so, way though so <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it it's kind of like wag the dog in a sense but it's a delightful premise and yeah if, if but stuff grows around it yeah it's hey if, if, if life follows art who's how, whose fault is that? We got into New York Mag. That's we what I was just going to bring that up to say this here. Yeah, what is the deal? It says here that, that you were mentioned alongside Lena Dunham, John Stewart, and serial killer Robert Durst. That's right. As lowbrow and brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> and this was after we'd done... So this is New York Mag. Now, I, didn't, I don't know much about these kind of things, but I did this show for four nights at La Mama in front of... You know, it was a hundred-seat place, and let's be honest, we had about 200 people would have come along. Total? In total. Okay. And then suddenly it's... It's in the New York Boom, magazine. And then, and then we get phone calls, and then people would like to have a meeting, and they would love to see this show if we've got a chance. And it's very ah, strange. Well, what happened as a result of being mentioned in New York magazine? Did, did well, it, has it elevated the whole thing to a Well, new this is kind of the reason that I'm here, because I was going to go home in disgrace, as I always assumed that I would, <laughs> very quickly to New Zealand. But, um, yeah, La Mama's putting on another little season of it, so we've got another show. Ah, extended. The 20th of April, so that all these producers and stuff who and all these other theatres that had said, no, no, they all want to see it now, and they want to see, because it's ridiculous, It's the whole thing's run off my laptop, and it costs me $5 a show because I use a Polaroid picture, but it's a very entertaining hour and it can kind of go anywhere and it kind of shakes up the, the theatre, the general theatre thing at the moment. Wow. So, so it's a sort of a revolutionary new piece of theatre. I like to think so in a very, yeah. And it's just you on stage the whole time with a PowerPoint presentation? You've got to understand, that's why we call it a nuclear PowerPoint presentation. I'm taking PowerPoint beyond the capabilities that even its designers thought it able huh. to do. Some of the transitions in there... Some of the flying ins and <laughs> sound effects that I managed to wrangle out of this thing are and you really fi- punctuated. You figured the show. all this out. Has yeah. um, has Helen Clark seen either the, the original one or this one? This is always the question. Um, no, Helen Clark never saw it, and obviously Hillary has never seen it. But actually, that's kind of okay because the whole point is that he can't reach this person. Well, I can get Helen Clark. She's my friend on Facebook. Oh, and she lives in New York. Perfect. And she lives in New York. Well, I wonder would she be now that I've moved on. Yeah, like, she kind could of see it now because it's yeah. <laughs> because it's someone else. Flavor of the week. Let's when try and get in touch with her and see if she wants to go see it. I, if you would like to, she's in London. Her I think for she, me. I would love to. She's in London, I think, right now. But whenever you're by the time you're back in New York, she works at the United Nations now. Absolutely, she's, she's a special envoy at the UN. Yeah. And the one thing, if if I could say anything to her, I, I guess if if you she can. thought of me, which I don't, I'm think sure she, she listens she to the can. show. We so I have great respect for her, and I think what she was a bit worried about when it was doing big business in Wellington just before the election is that there was some snotty guy making disparaging remarks about her. I was like, no, this is nothing but full of the greatest respect, and you couldn't have more respect for someone than wanting to have sex with them, right? I don't think so. Really, exactly. Could you? That's what I'm saying. Hey, Alex, we'll get back. And Lucy, I haven't even let you have get a word in yet. But it's first okay. of all, and we, when we come back from this, we've got two things to do. One, we're going to make Andrew play a song. And then secondly, I have to read these uh, right. sponsor messages. Which one should we do first? Do the messages first and yeah. then the song. Okay, let's do that. Okay. And then we're coming back to talk about Lucy Chords, which is a very weird spelling. 
It is. C-O-R-D-T-S. Far too many consonants. What is the deal with that? Where is that from? Germany. Germany. It's very Midwestern. I thought it was consonants. <laughs> what happened <laughs> to Sicilian? Illinois. Yeah, That's I just someone else. You just pick Sicilian. one and go with it when you're a mutt. You said you were Sicily, Sicilian. Germany. So if England. Why did you pick Sicilian first? Why didn't you because say Because we were I'm talking German. about uh, something Italian. Oh, talking yeah. about caprese uh-huh. salad. Yeah, so I went with that Ooh. so that I could be an expert on the sandwich. Topic. Okay, right. so lucky we weren't talking about bratwurst. That we would have to say, I, I'm that German. I'm, I'm from Baden-Baden. Yeah. Are you really? <laughs> no. So good they named no. it twice. <laughs> My great-grandfather was, I think. He was? I think so, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where's that? Is that the place where that... It's in Germany. German pilot from mm. German wings came from? I don't know about that. If you're from Baden-Baden, are you a Baden-Badener or a Baden-Badenese or what? I like it on the end. I'm actually not sure of the answer. I like that. Oh, it sounds yeah. best, I think. Yeah. None, I don't know that. None of those are German, though. Do you though. get what rid of the one of the Badens? Just <laughs> go for baden I hope not. Why no. is it called Baden-Baden? I'm so not sure. Yeah, twice. if I knew what it meant in Germany, maybe it would make... In German, maybe it would make more I sense. I think it means Duran-Duran in English. <laughs> What else? Well, what else has per- two words? That makes perfect sense. What else is a name of something that has the same word twice? Whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. Is, is that That's the name an of something? Australian place. Mm-hmm. Is it really? Yeah. Whoop yeah. whoop is an Australian place. Yeah yeah yeah. Is it really? Yeah, it's out back somewhere. Is it really? Is that right, Arthur? Do you happen to know anything about Australia? I, I believe it's pronounced wop wops. But you're right. It mm. is a it is a territory. But is that that's a generic term out in the wop wops, isn't it? Yeah, but or is it, it really a place? Why do you think? You know, why does anything become a stereotype? I don't know. That's exists, the real place. Right? I bet a lot of people are listening to this. Well, probably only one person's listening, but that person's probably thinking, "Who does this guy remind me of?" And it's got to be um, what was that show? People ask you about that all the time. A show. The New, the New Zealanders in oh uh, the Concords Flight, Flight of the, the Concords oh. doesn't he sound like Flight of the Concords you're New Zealand too though so to us it just sounds yeah, like uh, it all sounds the same yeah oh we have completely no different. but I see he's got he's got a little bit of American in his accent and it's well, yeah, at this when point, I go back yeah, to New Zealand people yeah. ask me where I'm from now I yeah. just mm. I just say New Orleans now and that just ends the conversation say right. I'm a Baden 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 I'm going to say Baden Baden that's a great idea Duran Duran might put you in jail if you do too much of that I'm a Baden Baden Oh, that sounds yeah. disgusting. <laughs> Does it? What it's do you place. do to other people? That's what you want to do to creatures. Hillary Clinton, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> We're going to do some bod and bod Let me say thank All you very long. much to these people who have made this show possible today. Our show is brought to us today by Petite Pet Care. If you're going out of town or you have a crazy schedule, the folks at Petite Pet Care will take care of your pet in his or her own home. For love and care when you're not there, go to petitepetcare.com. Also thanks to Basic Swim and Gym, a full range of fashion swimsuits, workout and yoga clothes with style. The all-new Basic Swim and Gym is on Magazine Street, right near Jefferson Avenue, which you cannot drive down anymore. Also thanks to Hangover Destroyer, the only all-natural product, medically proven to prevent a hangover. Go to the Hangover Destroyer website, it's called hdestroyer.com. Write happy hour in the coupon code and you can get 30% off Hangover Destroyer and seize the dawn and thank you also to unlistednola.com. The revolutionary new way to buy a house in New Orleans. If you know what you're looking for, you can find your perfect match before it comes on the market. It's the match.com of real estate. Your chance to find a house before anybody else finds it. It's called unlistednola.com. Thank you very much to all those folks. And thank you to Andrew Duvon for playing the guitar in the background. Bravo. Another beautiful song. Thank you. Now, don't put it down. Don't put it down. Andrew, we've come to that part of the show where we have a nice song. Sure. Touch of real culture. What are you thinking of playing? You know, I'm just always trying to play something new, Grant. Something I'm working on that's never finished. You know, something like that. Okay. What's this one about? This is just a light-hearted, bluesy, jammy song about our hometown that none of us are from. <laughs> kind of sounds like what I just did. Doesn't it? Wait. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> How does it go now? You know when you play two things that are really similar <laughs> and you can't remember the, the difference between the two? Mm. Here it comes. Make a lowland plan for some high ground River started to rise. Oh, God, I'm gonna make a ghost town turn around. You know, we're gonna come right back to a side. Rivers will fall and the rivers will rise. So much lost in the tide, but still the spirit survives. Yeah, still the spirit survives. Take a new photograph like an old photograph. City frozen in time. Until my old standby look like a new tourist trap. But I still know my corners I can hide. Rivers will fall and the rivers will rise. So much lost in the tide, but still the spirit survives. Well, yeah, still the spirits of I Used to rent bowling shoes and listen to a man play the blues I never heard such a soul He was blind as could be, he couldn't see a thing but he surely did find his way home He's dead and gone but I still sing along To all of his old 45s Yeah, the spirit survives baby. Yeah, still the spirit survives Oh well, that river will fall and the river will rise So much gets lost in the tide Still the spirit survives, baby Yeah, still the spirit survives, baby Yeah, still the spirit survives Right yeah. Right. Yeah, Thanks, y'all. Fantastic. Isn't he awesome? Oh, Andrew Come on, the guy is great, isn't he? Wow. Thanks, really. dude. It almost sounds like I didn't just break your guitar. I'm still really you sorry about it. that. Yeah, so Lucy, what happened? You went to sit down here I and you sat knocked Andrew's guitar. Totally sober, sat down, and there it's was a the guitar. And it's really embarrassing because as a musician, you have an appreciation for instruments. And so yeah, you don't go knocking people's stuff around. But I, I put it there, you know, know, and it's like the guitar that I don't appreciate that much, you know, and then you just, oh, it's like the tiny the little bastard. plastic still, piece. It doesn't matter. It could have been a toy guitar. It's mortifying. Lucy, does that mean that you too are a musician? I am, yeah. yeah. What do you play? I play the banjo and the mandolin right now in the Kelsey May Band. Nice. So, but, you know, kind of grew up with the standard fare. You know, you grew up learning the piano and learned to kind of read music that way. And then you got good and tired of playing Bach, you know, because you were eight. Huh? And that was never fun when you were eight. You could play Bach when you were eight? That's all they made you play. I, yeah, what I had it. When did you start? I think I started when I was in about the first grade. So what's that, about seven years old? Six, seven. 
Yes, so by the time you'd been playing for one or two years, you could already read music and play Bach. Well, I don't, I don't know. Time kind of fast forwards. It just felt like the whole thing was one big Bach song. You when know, you because say I don't yeah. know. The, the, <laughs> the truth is, you do know. I mean, I think probably you were playing Bach. I mean, you weren't playing it by ear, I assume. Right? No, 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 no. Yeah, probably as a as a youngin, you get the like four bar version of whatever the Bach tune is, and you can like play with your right hand. You know, you can like plunk out a note or two. You know, it was kind of one of those things. You know, the next door neighbor was the piano teacher, so it was. It this was is in Peoria, yeah, Illinois, yeah, which yeah, I've yeah. only ever heard of. Have you heard of Peoria, Arthur? I never have. No, no. people Where talk is about it? Peoria, Illinois. Oh, Illinois, yeah, yeah, it's about two and a half hours from Chicago, okay, so that's usually a reference point for people. Have you who been there, Alex? Uh, I have never been to Peoria, but I have heard of it. Have you played there? No, no, no. People talk about Peoria like it's sort of like the litmus test. Yeah, if it plays in if Peoria, plays that's in Peoria. where the yeah. that's where the phrase came from, right. apparently. And it what it's from 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 theater, like band in Boston, right? I mean, it's that sort of thing. If you could play in Peoria, then the Midwest would accept it, and therefore the American ethos yeah. would take take huh? it take it on, right? Yeah, and I sort of got the sense that that kind of expanded outside of theater in that it was just kind of a, a grain-fed, kind of if it flies with these folks, it'll probably stick just about anywhere type of deal. But I'm not really sure. Was there, a, so in, in, if you were banned in Boston, you played in Providence, <laughs> right? And so the first Howard Johnsons, for example, Hojo's, mm-hmm, was there to Hojo. facilitate the, the theater goers coming down from Boston and up from New York oh. to go and see these shows that were banned in Boston who turned it into a national, probably international chain. Mm. Is there some version of that that's the, consistent with Peoria or it's well, just the middle of the spot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a Hojo. No, I, I, I really don't know. Yeah, theater is sort of off my grid in that way. I know about Peoria players. We do have that. That's an awesome theater group in Peoria. But no, it, outside of that, whew. How many people live in Peoria? Is it big or small? Yeah, so it's about 115,000. So it's oh. it's not a town, but it's a very small city. You know, that's yeah. kind of how I think of it. it. It's pretty small. So it's got everything. It's got movies, theater. Yeah, the whole deal. Park. I mean, electricity. Biggest city in New I mean, it's, you know, outside of there until you get to Chicago, it's it's one of the kind of main cities in Illinois. Okay. So, you know. I was going to say uh, I wanted to ask a question, but I actually had an observation about Bach that I wanted to run past you. Mm. Uh, several times I've heard people who make contemporary music reference being influenced by Bach. I think we're yeah. talking about... Um, the dudes from, uh, they did Hysteria, it's not Led Zeppelin, but it's, you know, mm. um, and I, there was a great New Zealand band. Spinal that, Tap. Yeah, let's just say mm-hmm. Spinal Tap. Um, Def Leppard, it was. And also a great New Zealand band where the dude, he stole bass lines from Bach. Is there anything about Bach that, that influenced you or lent itself to contemporary music that you could notice? Yeah, so, what's that? Uh, I, I was, I'm not going to interrupt you, please. Oh, Let's okay, see. yeah. <laughs> No, you know, the only thing that I've kind of heard that rings true to that is just the classical influence that it seems mm-hmm. in modern music. And I don't know if it's a combination between a lot of folks getting their training in classical music and sort of bringing uh, that forward, because yeah. that is extremely common, mm-hmm. um, or if there is really something to the Bach piece. Yeah. So, the, so, so now I will jump in, because yeah. I think that the reason is because Bach was the first musician to incorporate the idea of, of structure in his music that's consistent with fractals and jazz, right? So Bach... Girdle and Escher is a wonderful book about the intrinsic mm. way in nature that things are structured. And Bach, in his compositions, tapped into that in a way where mm. he was repeating again and again and again common themes, but each time having a variation on it so that you were ultimately 
looking at the whole inside of an individual clip of music, which was then reflective of the whole again, and mm-hmm. each time different. So are we talking about the birth of like verse, bridge, chorus kind of stuff? or is it No, we're talking about things like the divine proportion and the golden ratio and the intrinsic way in nature that things move, yeah. and why is the seashell the same as the entire shape of the galaxy, right? Ooh. It's that stuff. That'll make your head hurt. What? No, no, it'll the do reason? the opposite. Yeah. It, will make your head, it will make your head empty <laughs> out and feel When free. you listen to the music, maybe. Yeah, well, it's what, like, what is Alex, what is the reason for that? What is the reason, the reason that the God, se- a seashell, is that true, first of all? Is, is the seashell the same shape so as the whole that. galaxy, so or are you just saying that? No, 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 I'm not just saying it. Think about That's the shape true. of the Nautilus. Go from a seashell the Nautilus, the workout. The, s- the smallest <laughs> living thing that it? we can see under a high-powered microscope is a, is a singular, cellular, single cellular paramecium. Which I thought is it was going to be celery, you were going to say for no, me. No, hang on, bear it's with a me. paramecium, okay. So you have the smallest living thing that we can that we can perceive, which is the shape of a nautilus. Then it goes to a mm-hmm. seashell, and then it goes to the divine proportion, which is what happens when you apply certain oh, kinds oh, of math oh. to a rectangle. I have and then to write that. To what, what, do you want it? The do winds you want of a hurricane and flushing a toilet, and regardless of what hemisphere you're in, it yeah. all spirals in the nautilus. So do the way that a rose grows up according to its petals and so to the arms of the galaxy so what does that suggest it suggests whether you're a god guy or not that there is an intrinsic uniformity to the universe and therefore is a spiritually enlightening idea irrespective of your belief in god or divinity or natural order to things which has nothing to do with the above right it's what? a means of tapping into each other and to mm. a it universality suge- doesn't it just suggest that all those things are under some sort of similar forces right and whether or not that force is god or not is the Irres- god is, irre- yeah. is irre- whether or not it's god who's put it in place is irrelevant yeah because mm. we don't understand as humans what the big question is right why mm. are we here we don't know yeah, mm. yeah so in the context of that thought process this is a mathematicians or a musicians or a painter's clue Mm. to the universality of the things that surround us right ultimately my job as a painter is how do I perceive myself in how do I perceive myself in relationship to my surroundings that was a good slip though yeah no I know little little multiple personalities yes so how do I perceive myself in relationship to my surroundings and then make it universal enough so that those that see what I make can also perceive themselves in relationship to their surroundings, right? So therefore creating some kind of an understanding that we are all part of a larger system. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that's God or Allah or Buddha or or Bach or or Einstein, (laughs) it's all the same conversation. Right. So that's why but, Bach but, is being used by Durandarin. But about the Bach and about about <laughs> about about the in Bach and about when, when we use it in art, you know, it do, it's it's uh it's not quite the same as the Nautilus, right? Because the the Nautilus wasn't uh, uh uh it was just it was naturally contriving these these patterns, right? But then if we you so know put them difficult. in as a representation right what, no 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 it's a little difficult to talk about visual mediums on the radio or in a podcast but sure. irrespective of that Have if another you drink. take if you take a proportionate <laughs> rectangle usually works. if you take a proportionate rectangle and you take the long end of it and you divide it by 1.618 the divine proportion mm. and you then flip it on its side 1.618 division right. etc on and on and on and on right. what you end up with is a series of proportionate rectangles that spiral into a nautilus right and that diminishing point is where your eye is most naturally drawn in the composition of a painting. But I guess my question is, 
um, when Bach uses such a thing like these arcs and these mm. mathematical equations, he's not being naturally affected by the forces that the seashell is. He's doing it because he recognizes that this is a beautiful part of the universe, so let me actively put it into this thing because I like math. Because it but feels not, right, right? Yeah. Well, or no, does it no, feel I, right? That's I a good question. That, I, I think it's intrinsic. I think that if you go to nature and look, that you find that dolphins skip across the surface of the water in the same way that antelope leap across the veldt. That if you think about the way that your eye navigates through a Pollock painting, it moves in the same fashion that fish swim around a reef. Right? I mean, you're starting to find these things that are through lines. And so then as a result, mm. it's not just that Bach thinks that that's entertaining and easy to the ear. Mm. It's that he's using the constructs of the universe and the and the uniformality of it yeah. to bring the outside into what he's putting together. Mm -hmm. So it's, he's created a structure, which is an existing structure from nature, which will then allows him to play. Yeah. Right? I mean, ultimately it's that, right? I mean, what's the great preciousness to Monet? The ability to watch the light change. Mm. Right? So it's taking yeah. the... Well, that's where, that's where it becomes pretty interesting to me, because when you think, like you mentioned Escher, you know, if you look at an Escher drawing, He's clearly, he's got to be using a ruler here or something to make these proportions work hmm. mathematically within the drawing, right? But if Bach is just, dare I compare him to the flushing toilet, if Bach is, uh, <laughs> if Bach is just writing this music and is somehow tapped into this force wherein his music ends up fitting this mathematical equation, that's a beautiful thing. But, but music is maths. Is it, I, yeah. I, see, I have to go to you for this one because I'm... Oh, well, you guys are both musicians, but... But I hate math, There's so. eighths and sixteenths. Is mm -hmm. but math is taught wrong. You hate quantitative math, yeah, not okay. qualitative math. Probably right? You true. don't like doing your taxes, but hate you like it. thinking about pulling the curtain back on the universe's great mysteries. Sure. Right? So mm. that's math, too. You don't hate that. Yeah, I guess. Different math. Oh, yeah. But it's still math. Still involving math. Yeah. I have a math question. What is this divine proportion 1.618? So the divine what proportion, mean? what does that mean? It's a proportion yeah. where if you divide a Fibonacci rectangle, which is a proportionate rectangle in on itself, that you end up with the Nautilus as described. Now it also, by the way, is okay, the proportion... Well, there's too many words in there that so we don't know the meaning. So it also, by the way, is the, is the proportionate number which shows you, and it's a little hard once again on a podcast, but the distance between the end of your thumb and your first knuckle yeah. into the length of your thumb. Mm. The distance between the end of your finger to your wrist into the end of your finger to your elbow. The yeah. distance from yep. your shoulder to your elbow into the entire length of your arm. If you think about Michelangelo's drawing of the human figure with its eight arms, etc., showing you that it's eight heads up and down, eight heads left to right, it's the proportion of the way we are constructed. I mm. thought that was Leonardo da Vinci drew that. You think oh, you know what? You're exactly right. You did. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's da Vinci. It's not Michelangelo. So, excuse me. You're correct. So, so one. 1.618 is the that's the ratio it's called the of all, divine proportion it's the ratio of all these things that from the tip of my thumb to the first knuckle yep. yeah and then from that knuckle to the base of my thumb if you divide one the first distance into the yeah, second distance that's 1.618 on everybody now where the myth everybody. comes up is the whole thing about foot size and penis size mm -hmm. because that has nothing to do with the divine proportion mm -hmm. do as we much know as people first? might say we know that for a fact. <laughs> but okay. Some of us fellas do. This, this sort, of, sort of comes back to the, the, to the glimmering Plato's cave of money, power, and fame, which is ultimately your willy will limp, but the divine proportion does not. 
right? Yeah. Universal truths that have to do with the unending nature of life as opposed to the details of our petty existences. Okay, given that this is true, that this 1.6 million is this divine proportion that can be applied to all sorts of things like my thumb and yeah, yeah, whatever, and the yeah. whole cosmos. Yeah, but not your foot and your penis. And, the, and your and, foot and your pecker. And there is absolutely no explanation for that whatsoever. The explanation it's, it's for that is, is there a design? The or explanation is that a for that completely random. It's it's not random. The explanation for that is that there is a universality in nature to the way that things are. Is there and really, this, or is it yes, just our observation of it? Well, ultimately, remember we go back to the idea that as a painter, I can only perceive myself in relationship to my surroundings. So it's all going through the filter of my own perception. Yeah. Not just your own perception, but the perception of all no, of us. No, as nothing a, exists as a human unless race. we perceive it. Beauty yeah. doesn't so, exist unless the human exactly. perceives it. So, so is all of us. these things are but wandering around in a very. I wrote this thing. down when you said this. You said that all this is a talk. We're talking about the constructs of the universe. I am. I'm but talking the about the constructs of the universe. The construct comes from us. It comes from the observation. If I was an alien and I had a completely different view of everything. So you think we work math, for the cows? I'm suggesting, right, I'm suggesting that if you were an alien, Calvin. that you too would be affected by these intrinsic nat natural means. And that if you were an alien and you came to us, I would then suggest further that you know more about it than we do. Because our perceptions can't get us past the moon. I mean, we could see, but we haven't really gotten out really beyond what's, what's just in front of our noses. Mm. And there, so the only way to perceive what is the bigger picture is by taking the clues which we perceive. And the one universality is that divine proportion and how it plays out in the way that things in nature intrinsically move. Now, I strongly recommend for the last 11 minutes of this podcast that we immediately go back to Hillary Clinton and peck ourselves. <laughs> okay, but has anyone, this is a attempted, very has anyone attempted to use this divine proportion and all the sort of stuff to come up with some sort of a, a science, a, a, an, an energy source? Ah, for example, energy source I can't tell you about, but there's a very good book which was written in the last 15 or 20 years by a guy named Wolfram called um, uh, Wolfram's New Science. Okay, it's okay. a new kind oh, of. I write, new, that down? write it down. It's you know, okay. it's a tome. You can sit on it at Thanksgiving if you're not tall enough for the table. It's called a new kind of science, and there Wolfram. is Wolfram, and there is a conversation he that's been taking taking place over the course of the last 50 years in artistic and in scientific circles that has to do with what are we actually looking for, right? I mean, ultimately, we don't even know the right question. Right. So, so this is a means of looking for what are the clues to lead us towards the ability to ask the right question. Right. I have a question because this has all come from Lucy. Have and you? I'm fascinated by you, Lucy. How, <laughs> how we came to this point in the thing. And I want to know about no slash AIDS task force which is something that you're also here you're a musician but you're also mm -hmm, here for that mm -hmm. can you tell us about that yeah I spend a, a great deal of my time and energy as a social worker in this city mm -hmm. well done by the way <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's true it's something I'm very passionate about um, I don't know if anyone who lives here in the city you two folks <laughs> you three folks know anything about no AIDS task force um, but yeah, I'm a social worker there. It's a great organization providing medical care and services to folks living with HIV and AIDS. Um, and what's extremely cool is that within the last year and a half or so, we actually became what's called a federally qualified healthcare center. So that means that we can kind of take the model of community-based, comprehensive medical care for folks who don't have access to it 
you know, who just hmm. show up in the emergency room with the sniffles, you know, that have then sort of turned into some kind of nasty infection that lands them in the emergency room. To kind of take that model of preventative care and make it available, you know, to anyone who doesn't have access to that kind of care. So we're kind of expanding our mission, kind of coming from what the HIV world has been, you know, treating the total person, hmm. kind of doing that for the rest of, of the city. Um, you know, by and large, our city, which is probably not surprising, um, New Orleans is very poor health outcomes. Um, nationally, the South is kind of not ranking too high in that way. So the city said they wanted more access to health care. And so um, we went ahead and, and went after the, the money to do it. And so here we are. So, so this is for people yeah. who have nothing to do with HIV. They've got other problems. Yeah, yeah. Kind of taking that. And we still have that emphasis on, on treating folks with HIV and, mm. and being there for them, but kind of taking that model and, and moving it to the general population. So we do both. So we're what still specialized. What is the model as a holistic care? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's this thing called the health home model. So it's this health idea, home. health home. Yeah, it's this idea that you don't just show up at the doctor and you know get your bottle of medicine and, and go home. You know, and just get kind of the one thing treated. Mm -hmm. But you know, there are folks there that can also treat kind of some of those psychosocial issues. Mm -hmm. um, also right. sensitive to things around the fact that you know maybe people don't show up to the doctor because they they physically can't get there. They literally can't get there. So helping people with transportation. You know, kind of acknowledging that it actually takes way more to treat somebody than just a doctor to write prescriptions. So mm. paying attention to housing and transportation and but behavioral there, health. Are there holistic or alternative medicine treatments available or just you just get to see a doctor? We, yeah, so we're, we're kind of starting with the primary care aspect, kind of traditional primary medical care. Um, but yeah, you know, as we have the opportunity to kind of, you know, host like an acupuncturist or right. to, to kind of to do some you know, some uh, kind of more allopathic things along those lines. We're, we're definitely open to that. But it's not one of the core services that we provide. First up is just pick up your prescriptions, helping people <laughs> do that, right? Because that's crazy. Is it free? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we don't turn anyone away. It's not exactly... So I can go to the doctor for free? You can. Anybody. If you're unable to pay, you, I don't, you do no not have mean, to pay. There's no, is there a means test? Do I have to like, have a tax return or something? I can no. just walk in and say I don't want to pay. What's the difference between you unable can, and unwilling? There really is no difference. Yeah, we don't right. shake people down. You know, we yeah. ask folks if they can if they can pay their sliding fee, and if they say no, I'm I'm not able to pay it. Fair We're not going to turn anyone away. Ultimately, so the, the it's measure, about access. Ultimately, the measure between unable and unwilling is, and I and and you guys do a fabulous work, by the way. I've been following what you've done for quite a long not time now, and it's really excellent. But ultimately, the difference is the more money you have, to your point of money, power, and fame, the better mm. treatment you get. Right? And a lot of that has nothing Same to do time. with reactive, but proactive, as in mm -hmm. you're putting yourself in a position where you're less likely to get sick because you're going to the doctor and doing all the rest yep. of those things versus, mm -hmm. oh, my God, I've got hepatitis. What the fuck do I do now? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and we really have kind of come full circle. You'd mentioned Obamacare in the first maybe five minutes of us being, <laughs> yeah. being you know, recording this podcast. And really, it's, it's a result of, of the funds that have kind of been put into the Affordable Care Act that have made this possible, oh, you know, yeah? the community health center movement. Really? Yes. Yeah, so to, to bring medical care into people's communities. Mm -hmm. So you've, there's more money in medical care, in medical care now? Yes. In the community health centers, that, that's a big big chunk of the money out of the Affordable Health, yeah, the Affordable Care Act was, yes, to fund more community health centers. So there's mm -hmm. actually more cash going to people like you to, to fund mm -hmm. clinics. Mm -hmm. More access points, exactly, right. That's really more people yeah. know sure. that. Because yep. that's a yep. big difference for me. Uh, yeah, coming to New Zealand, obviously I love a lot about America. It's just weird because we go to the doctor, you yeah. know, and it's paid for, and yeah. you get something wrong, you break your arm, someone else pays for it, and you get some nice insurance. It's just a very strange and frightening situation uh, it is. to other come over to Americans. The other oh, thing God, about New Zealand is that a lot of people don't know about New Zealand is if you do break your leg, for example, and you're on the street or something, mm. in, you're, you break your leg in here, you can't sue anybody. 
Oh, that's the one. That's the one thing we've given away, and that's the one thing. Top two. You can do oh, that now. Oh, see, we've made. I didn't realize the deal we made with the devil when we weren't allowed to sue people for doing stuff to us. Walking across the road in New York, no one wants to run you over. Whereas in New Zealand, you know, they put, they there's put no, there is no. As a New downside. Yorker, I can tell you the reason that they don't want to run you over is because they then have to stop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with your well-being. See, we've invented the hit and run. Have you guys not but, done that yet? But in New Zealand, there is no personal. You can't. There's no personal injury lawsuits. No, at that's all. A, you can't sue anybody. There's a very funny. I was doing a. I was doing a factory job once, and there's a very funny chart. We have this thing called uh, the Accident Compensation Corporation, basically a government insurance situation, and they have a picture of the body with how much you get if various bits. Like if your thumb mm. gets chopped off, it's about fifteen grand. But if nice. your little finger, if you lose your little it's finger, not as much. That's nope. only about two yeah. and a half. A couple hundred bucks. So, yeah, you can get very strategic about what bits of your body you mince. So, Lucy, we don't, I mean, the general public, you don't get to hear much about HIV anymore. No. It seems to have dropped off. I mean, it's hard for me to say that, being in the the HIV arena. It's always interesting to hear that. I get the feeling as someone who never watches the news or or pays any attention to anything, you just get it all secondhand on, you know, social media. But you don't sort of see much about it. You you get the feeling that people who get HIV now, they're not going to die. They're going to be okay. Someone like you is going to look after them and we don't don't sort of know much about it. What what is going on? Yeah, you know, I think the last time something really big hit the news too was the the little baby that, you know, was supposedly cured. I think that kind of stuff talks around cure. I think that kind of draws a lot of attention. Right now, there's a lot of emphasis on actually taking HIV medications for someone who's not HIV positive as a method of prevention so that they don't become positive. It's Mm -hmm. actually a this whole thing, you there's know, a, pre-exposure as prophylaxis a prof- as a prophylactic, is what it's called. Right? There is, there yeah, is like a it's vaccine. It's very effective. There, it is. It's not a, yeah, not a vaccine. Uh, the pre-exposure prophylaxis is actually taking HIV medicines at, from an HIV negative person to actually not, you know, not become HIV positive. To malaria. Have risky sex what? Or, malaria works the same you, way. The stuff you take to prevent it is the same. Oh, the same malaria works the same way, right? Same the stuff you take to, to prevent it is the same stuff sure. you treat it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. But that's the definition of vaccination, isn't it? It's a different thing here. Yeah, I don't. I don't know it? that we would. No, we would liken it to a vaccination, it right? Yeah. Okay, so this is taking, this is taking medication mm-hmm. that would be normally used to fight. Yes. Whatever the heck mm-hmm. HIV, it's a virus. Mm-hmm. It is a virus, and it's yeah. a preventive as well. It is, yeah. Wasn't it that some is. sort of a breakthrough, surely? A big time, yeah, big time, and, it, and it's super <laughs> controversial as well, and it's expensive. So you know, it's so you're not going to go buy it at CVS. Probably not. Or yeah, probably a thousand dollars a month. You're not going to do that. Yeah. So try convincing insurance companies that this actually is in the in the, in the best interest of our public health. And well, who is getting HIV now? I mean, I I think that in terms of the the demographic population kind of most infected still kind of your your men who have sex with men are still kind of ranking in the numbers as being kind of the highest numbers affected um in the south um african-american women climbing population disproportionately affected what is it what is the common thread between african-american women and men who have sex with other men unprotected sex that's it well, well, sure. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's not intravenous drug, you know, infection, anything like that. I mean, I think there are definitely kind of cultural differences that kind of um, would stand out between the two populations. But at the end of the day, it's unprotected sex. That's a, Absolutely. That's a, that's a slippery, slippery answer to, I'm not that you gave, but one required because you could step on an awful lot of toes trying to answer that yeah, question. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's absolutely for yeah, sure. And impossible. all we can do, yeah, all we can do is kind of, you know, lean on our epidemiology and our, our folks that study this sort of thing to try to just make sure that the messages oh. are spread far and wide because the, the fact is, is there's really no, quote, at-risk population. You know, everyone is at risk. You know, it, potentially anyone who's most, engaging in these behaviors is, is at risk. But most people who are spreading AIDS to each other is 
men who have sex with other men mm-hmm. and African American women. Mm. In well, the south. And, that, the, and they're the, having the, the women being the, the ones south? who actually get infected. Yeah, I think it's so it's they're having sex with infected men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then are they giving it to other people? Does it go every direction? You know, I don't know that the epi data kind of follows the chains that far. You know, in terms of kind of uh, what after like twenty five or thirty years, we don't know. I don't know that it's kind of one of those things that people necessarily focus on study-wise. You know, I think it's it's kind of, um, you know, we focus on the populations that become infected, I think, and then kind of in terms of the cultural outcomes of that or kind of what circles those folks run in. I think the difference culturally that I was referring to is most of the women that become infected, they're in what they think are monogamous relationships. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit different than Aha. maybe culture of the men who have sex mm. with men. It's a little bit different, you know, so I think... It just depends on your population. You study the population. You kind of find out what those kind of hot spots are, and, and you focus hang on, on those. Sec, hang on a second. Are you totally serious that women who think they're in monogamous relationships with guys are finding out they don't have herpes or they don't get they get they're getting HIV now? I've never heard that. Is that what you're saying? Some, yes. Uh huh. That's that's one. That's a that's decent kind of size number. Of yes. Mm-hmm. Women. Yep. Holy yep. shit. Mm-hmm. And who are these guys mm. cheating with? Other guys. I, I suppose one could speculate. Sure. Haven't you listened to contemporary music over the last five years? I haven't They'll had a tell you. Who? What is it? Who you talking about? At the end of the day, people are Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift mentions she a lot mentions of that kind it? of cheating. She does. Yep, in her music. She it's, doesn't mention yeah, HIV. It's though, sexual activity. You well, know, I mean, she doesn't <laughs> know. That's a thing. She just thinks it it's fun to cheat. Shake it off. That's what she's talking about, maybe. I thought that she was shaken off. Wasn't she a shaky? you got to be Not careful next time or? you have sex with Taylor Swift. Mm, I've always <laughs> said that. That's what you could do next if this Hillary Clinton thing works out. You Rubber could do the Taylor up. Swift. Well, as we, <laughs> said, as we find out with the Hillary the Clinton con- thing, he has saved himself for her to avoid this particular situation. Mm-hmm. This guy in your play has saved himself for Hillary. Richard Miros, BA, 30 years of age. So he's holding out for Hillary. Yeah. So he's not having sex with anybody she else. She doesn't want to give President Bill an unwelcome present. I see what you're saying. So mm. he has to stay clean. He can't risk having sex with somebody. That is why he's the oh, only person geez. in the world who qualifies. Because he's still a virgin? Well, among other things, he also has good pillow talk. <laughs> because he's got many degrees. Have you got any way of getting in touch? I guess these people who you know run the campaign, they must hear about stuff like you now, right? Now that you're in New York Magazine and so on. Oh, well, I wonder. I do wonder. I'm sure there's, you know, everyone... I don't think she's getting a briefing paper on me, put it that way. I don't know. I just feel, even if she did hear about it, I think she could front foot this one and it would be of nothing but benefit to her. Definitely. It's got to be. It's it's huge. It's the perception of which. She doesn't need to keep quiet about this. Why does it have to actually exist? What if you just said it existed? Would that be the same? Zach I wouldn't be denying it. It would be the divine proportion. I think you could probably pitch that to Fox News right now and be on the air tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> they don't fact check and they can't think anything they would rather have than Hillary Clinton and stopping that a, would a, a be Kiwi. my way onto the daily show that's mm-hmm. a great idea go through Fox right. I don't think you <laughs> want to sit down with Jon Stewart on this one no well, he's no he'll just play my he'll just play my tapes what about the new guy oh I don't know about the new, the new guy, guy? isn't he What's a racist misogynist Already? from South Africa I just the moment I heard South African I was no, worried the opposite. Worried. Yeah, I don't think he is Yeah, he's the opposite <laughs> that's a, that's a kind they of a racist statement his, right there. No, they have been through his Twitter. A few oh. years ago, he might have said something that was a bit stupid on Twitter. Oh, he and he's, he's in trouble. 
Anything you say on Stupor is on Twitter on is by definition stupid. Stupor is a good Stupor name. Stupor is for infinitely him. better than Twitter because anything that has ever come out on Twitter like has been it. nothing but nonsense. I want to make an app called Stupor. Unless you're in the Middle East and then you can, cl- then you can crash the world. Yeah. Okay, listen, we've got to get out of here, and it's a damn shame because we didn't even get onto the elephants, Alex, which is actually the reason I think we elephants invited you on rhinos. the show. Mm. Yeah, mm. Alex is the, uh, the host of a, uh, of a TV documentary called, uh, what's it called, Drawing the Line. True. Which mm. is about saving the elephants. Well, look, you don't need to talk about in it now. Kenya. But if you're, we can't because we have to go. If so. you're in New Orleans during Jazz Fest, come down to Frenchman Street every night. You can see a screening of it and uh, right. painting activities and all sorts of things. And come out and have one community do good for another. We're on Frenchman Street. The art market. Hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. On the corner. Of, and in fact, we're doing yeah. a new pop-up on the corner of Washington, right across from Washington Park. So on the corner of Frenchman and Royal. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be? There's like a movie theater or something? No, no, no. All outdoors, all open to everybody. So I can come and see this documentary called please, Drawing please, the please, Line. Please. How long is it? Oh, it's short. 30 minutes. Okay. And you and shot it in Kenya on location. We did. We shot it in Kenya on location because that's in particular where the elephants are getting That's slaughtered. where the elephants are. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I saw a little trailer for it. It looks fascinating. Well, you've actually, nice of you to say. You've actually... Built, you've actually paid for building a, a shelter there that's intercepting people, poachers, and stopping them killing elephants. That's correct. We built an outpost at the uh, Elephant Gap in northern Kenya to monitor the poaching there. That's right. I've got to see this. You reason with the poachers? No, we shoot the poachers. No, yeah. that's incorrect. Let me take that back. You can go over there with you your hand the that's incorrect. There are, I'm good there from a, three feet. From there point is, blank, no, no. There, is a, there is a hot war going on right now between poachers and anti-poachers all over Africa that has to do with international crime and terrorism. Al-Shabaab, the Janjaweed, um, etc. are paying for their mostly Islamic militarist uh, rebellions through, mm. in many cases, illegal elephant tusk and rhino horn. So as a result, there's, I mean, it's now become a national security risk to the United States, for example. That so is bullshit. We need to stop that. So no, we're not talking about going and trying to reason with a poacher, but rather shut off the source and then go after the demand. Boom. Wow. Now, who knew that? Elephant tusks are paying for terrorists. Yeah, Al-Shabaab last week killed 150 Kenyans, and a lot of that was paid for by uh, illegal ivory. Mm. Holy crap. Okay, so if you listen to this and you want to go find out more about that, the, the movie is called, the TV show is called Drawing the Line. And we can find out something about it, at least on the... I, I Googled it and found a trailer for it. Yeah, yeah. If you, go to, uh, cool. if you go to either alexbeardstudio.com or wateringholefoundation.org, you will see a trailer and find out all about the things that we're doing here in New Orleans to help support the effort in East Africa. Okay. And if you go to Kelsey May Band or Kelsey, Kelsey May Kelsey Music. It's just KelseyMay.com. KelseyMay.com. Mm-hmm. And it's r- very difficult to spell that because both those yeah, names are spelled Yeah, com. Yeah, we've got a gig at the Ninth Water Fest on Saturday night coming up here during our French Quarter Fest. And then Kelsey will uh, also be performing with both Alexandra Scott on Saturday at French Quarter Fest and Jason Ryan on okay. Sunday at French Quarter All right. Fest. And if you listen yeah. to this in 2016 or something, say... I assume the Kelsey May Band will still be in existence. And you'll absolutely. Be, and you'll be playing in it. Yes, absolutely. Are you also yeah, known I as Putin? To. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Actually, Kelsey was, Kelsey was excited about this happening. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's the 11th hour. We finally, <laughs> fi- I finally figured that out. This is, yeah. So you're Kelsey's partner. Yeah, Putin in the flesh right here. Putin. It's true. Remember that, Andrew? Yeah, I heard yeah. y'all had fun with it. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't. Uh. You don't remember that show <laughs> when Kelsey was our guest on our show and she was talking about her girlfriend's name is Puddin? Puddin, yeah. That's with an apostrophe. And 
and we yeah. and we kept. Oh, you weren't there, Andrew. You, uh-huh. were, you were out that day. Saved. The name All of that right. show on our website, if you're looking for it, is called Puddin Hoffmeister. Oh, that's right. You got to. I heard that you were pretty fixated the on the name Puddin. I love it. Yeah, Puddin, that's, 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 your, that's your nickname. Yeah, it is. That's your like affectionate nickname. Yeah, it but is. But you're not chubby or pudding like. No, all. it's all about liking to eat pudding. You love yeah. pudding. I come, ah, from, a, I come from a family of grazers. We eat anything in sight. What flavor? Pudding? So, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Tapioca. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. What's it's p- pistachio? That's, that's a pretty the good one. one. Yeah, it's a little pudding. little crunch to it. Yeah, it's a good one. Who doesn't like pudding? That's how you got the name. What are you? What sort of a pudding are you going to have tonight? Do you think? I've been off pudding for a while. Oh yeah. no! It's just it, it's, like an, it's, in, it's in cycles. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, no, I'm not off pudding. <laughs> not that I not that I would I would say though. But uh, no, yeah, it's just kind of a thing. It comes in cycles, like eating cereal. You know, I don't do it every day, but well, cereal is the not season much for cereal. Of a name, but pudding is it's cute. See, but pudding has a, also got an apostrophe at the end. There's no it G, does. right? It'd be so you couldn't leave the L off cereal. Yeah, no, you don't. Be cereal. That'd be weird. That'd be yeah. stupid. But yeah, Puddin is cute. <laughs> well, Puddin, well, it's so you. nice to meet you. It's we really nice didn't to get you. to talk much to you about at all. We didn't get to talk to Alex much about the elephants. Arthur, we really got to find out some good stuff about you, but only mm. scratched the surface. wonder if there'd be ever a chance to have us all back together in the same room. I like oh, that. Wouldn't that be nice? Arthur, what's your tra- tra- trajectory? My trajectory? Here? Well, look, just uh, the fact is Hillary Clinton's young lover is Google optimized to me, which Hillary, is quite good. So if we search for Hillary, Hillary Clinton's, Clinton's young, young lover... lover I've got a show on the at La Mama in New York on the 20th of April. That's a Monday. 2015. 2015. Okay. Um, I would also like Grant to get, take this opportunity to give you this, oh. a teaspoon with my face on it. Oh, this is, that is gorgeous. Thank you very no, that much. Is, it's a commemorative it's teaspoon with your face. I love this. And you cannot put that in the uh, dishwasher, otherwise my face will melt off. Oh, otherwise okay. you can use it for your absinthe, your... Your pudding. Your you could eat your pudding with that. Hey. Pudding. Pistachio. Perfect. That is a, All particular, of those a particular former English Empire deal, right? The Victorian yeah. spoon with the picture on really the end. Really beautiful. <laughs> oh, nice. The commemorative vacation. teaspoon is, yeah, yeah it's totally. a little bit totally. rebellious to come and do this yeah. in America. Where do you, you get go. that manufactured? That is beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that gorgeous? They don't cost a lot. I'll hmm. tell you that much. And But they I make a big merch. impact. Merch, Andrew. Okay, <laughs> Arthur Meek, thank you so much for joining us and good luck. We'll follow your your future here with interest and if you get to fight Hillary, it's going to be a great day for all of us. We can say we heard about it here first and welcome to yeah. New Orleans. You've now been here over an hour. Thank you so much for coming especially to our show. Lucy Courts, thanks for being here. Thank Alex you. Alex Beard, thank you as well. That's our whole show for today. That is Happy Hour. Our show is produced by Graham DePonte, our associate producer and technical director. It's Chris Kehoe, Christian Unruh as our music director, and it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Christian. Happy birthday. Very nice. Our theme music was written by and is currently being played by Mitch Foreman. The fabulous audio quality of the show is brought to us in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. And if you'd like to be on our show and you can sit around a table for about an hour and have a couple of drinks, our address is on our website where you can also find many more hours of happy hours to listen to along with some other shows we make here. Out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti live from Commander's Palace. Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. True to the game with the fabulous Chris True. Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans. Ray Canada, Louisiana Eats with Poppy Tooker. Milo's Music Parlor with Kim Vu and the revolutionary new way to buy a house in New Orleans. Unlisted NOLA. You can keep up with all of that on Facebook, Twitter and a bunch of other time sucking social media as well. And all of it we're called It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and in our, on our Facebook and Google Plus pages. These photos are taken today by Alison Moon. I don't know where she is. She's over there somewhere. If you are listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app that you subscribe to us on, thank you so much for subscribing. Take just one moment to do this. Would you stop everything 
and rate and review us. That helps other people find us. Even if you give us a bad review, I think that would probably be worth it. Our show is recorded live today at Wayfair on Ferret Street, where they put fine dining into a sandwich and fine booze into a glass. You can check it out for yourself. We'll come back here next week. We will be back here with another happy hour, which is a production of I Know Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Andrew Duhon, Graham DuPont, everybody around here around the table at Wayfair and back at our office at I Know. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you back here next week on Happy Hour.